This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. All right, man. So I don't know what the hell was wrong with my mic the last couple of weeks, and I still haven't fixed it. And uh, But I've got this substitute mic, so... It should be okay. It should sound better than uh, last week. At least we got that going for us. Yeah, even though it was your mic, I was the one who had this echo. Someone alerted me to it, and I listened to the pod. And yeah, I was the one that sounded horrible last week. But oh well. Um, yeah, I think my side is mostly the same. But we'll see. Your your setup's different. You're you're traveling. No, I'm home. But as I said, I think the reason I had problems is my other mic is broken. So I busted out the second mic that I had that I did not have access to last week, and. Uh, Hopefully. Uh, okay. This is people when I really... hit you up a couple week, couple days ago. I was like, "Are we still potting?" I thought you said. Oh, when, I went, when I complained about my echo, I thought you said that you were going to be in a different spot this week, so it'll be fixed or something. But never mind. No, no. I just had to retrieve. This is really exciting for people to listen to. But I just had to retrieve the mic from the other house that I didn't. I wasn't at this last couple of weeks. That's your other estate. Okay, you're at yeah, the gotcha. estate, Fair. which is about 500 yeah. square feet. The uh, little <laughs> cottage you're at, but yes, you can call it that if you like. Okay. Right. So what's up, dude? Are you a game GameStop or what? Yeah, I, I didn't own any GameStop. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I sold all my Bitcoin and I bought GameStop yesterday. You didn't know that? I didn't tell you. I didn't. Yeah. AMC, uh, Blockbuster. What, what I went else? all in. I went all in. Wild times. Yeah. So wild times. I think this, episode is a lot bigger it's big like it's a big it's like funny everyone's cracking jokes about it but i think this is big what happened today and it's kind of like the beginning of the end for the system in my opinion because what you really had was you whatever they said the uh fake siege of the capital was that's what this i kind of think actually was how so well, because like, you know, the Capitol, those guys running around like a bunch of idiots and two hours later they were cleared out. They were never a threat. But this is a real threat because the government's funded by the oligarchs, the, the ruling class. And the ruling class extracts money from the rest of us through printing it and getting access to it in the capital markets first uh, and inflating it for everybody else through uh, extractive finance and the laws that govern it. And all of a sudden, you basically had a bunch of people who organized on a Reddit thread. They they organized, so there was lots of them. And they started all targeting these shorts from these hedge funds and and doing it all at once and buying with leverage in mass. Now, there's some, some people think that it wasn't just them, that some actual other institutional money piled in. 
Right. But I don't know the answer to that. But I'm going to stick with the story because it's a, it's a better story. And we'll see <laughs> if they get some clarity on that later. But at least the story for now is a bunch of individual traders just piled in. A guy put in 50 grand and made 22 million on the stock. And now, you know, Game, GameStop, first of all, it's a crazy name, right? GameStop, stop the game. Like, it's just too, like, on the nose almost. Like, the, the stock is called GameStop. And it was, people know this is a place where you would rent video games, I guess, or buy video games. And I never, went, I never went there. I guess buy video games. And, you know, that's a dead business. The analogy is Blockbuster versus Netflix. But, so people started shorting this business, which was already weak. And all these people piled in. Now it's worth like, I don't know, 20-something billion dollars. I don't know what the market cap is now, but it's insane. A business that is basically dead. And the pe- and yeah. the people who are shorting it are like forced to like buy it also to like hedge, which in, which in turn increased the value too. So it was like this loop. Uh, but yeah, it was all all fascinating to to, to learn about. But I, yeah, no, it's basically um, yeah sticking it to uh, to Wall Street. Yeah, I mean these guys have to be bailed out, and there's rumors that there's more funds that need to be bailed out, and they're going to bail them out probably because they're worried about systemic risk and the leverage of these funds. And everybody's saying, oh well, we you know the SEC saying, well if we see. You know, communication on social media around certain stocks that are being targeted. We're going to halt. They halted trading in these things. And it's just so cowardly. And so the SEC's on their side, and this is who they protect. And you, and you see it just coming out like, okay, we've got to protect you. The, a couple of crazy things about this apparently, the short interest in the stock, GameStop, was 170% of the shares, which is kind of like an accounting fraud. You can't, right. or 140% of the shares, you can't. You have to borrow the stock to short it, and they they were basically shorting more than existed, which is part of why they were caught. And yeah, I guess like when you if the price starts getting bid up, you know you have to cover your shorts. And but yet like everybody's buying more and more of it, and you have to keep covering at a higher price. And it just got away from them and collapsed the fund. But Glenn Greenwald had a tweet that was like only. Corporate media is allowed to engage in disinformation. If you or I try to do it, you know that's we get kicked off of Twitter or suspended. Only Wall Street's allowed to engage in market manipulation. If the average person tries to do it, you know, the SEC has to step in and stop the trading of the stock. It's not the act itself that's the problem. It's who's doing it. Yeah, and Elon Musk is contributing to it with his tweets and um, the part Warriors owner. I'm going to mess up his last name. Shama, uh, like that, that guy. Yeah, he's trying to be the next uh, California governor, even maybe um, like that guy. Um, so, so next question is: Is this bad for Bitcoin? I've seen arguments on both sides. I mean, uh, the, the Anthony Scaramucci uh, called it proof of concept and said it was a good thing. Who's going to argue with the mooch? But obviously, there's definitely some some fud involved here too. I've never been more bullish. I've never been more bullish. There was this guy, it's funny, last week there's this guy, Professor Plum, I think I mentioned him, supposedly like a legit finance guy who had this FUD related to Tether and some other stuff, and he, he did a podcast with uh, with Nick, the, what's the guy's name, I follow him on Twitter and I can't remember his last name, Nick Carter. I was like, okay, I was kind of nervous, I'm like, he seemed to be implying this guy, uh, Mike Green, professor at Professor Plum ninety nine, seemed to be implying he like really looked into it and had the goods on Bitcoin, and it was no way too dangerous, you know, going to go down. And then I listened to the podcast; uh, it was Grant Williams' podcast, and it was basically him and Nick Carter going back and forth. And like this dude did not have the goods at all. 
I mean, it was like speculative. Well, what if Tether, even the stuff we talked about last week, but, and Nick Carter was just so calm and explained the thing so well. I've never felt more bullish. I'm like, really? That's all he's got? He's hyping this, oh, I've got the secret goods, wait till the podcast. And it was like nothing. So that was great. And I think this is really bullish because first off, these, I don't know if they're millennials or they're, you know, anyway, they're individual traders without large institutional accounts. And they're trying to kind of get their piece of the game, right? Every, this, the Cantillion effect where the insiders get these borrow money at cheap rates and make a ton of it, buy assets with it, assets get, go skyrocketing. And everyone else, by the time the money gets debased, is getting paid in it for wages and, and loses the money. And you have you know, this constant extraction from that in the finance industry who knows how to manipulate markets. And you have these individual guys getting their piece and kicking their ass. They figured out how to do it. They did it. They executed. There, there's no fee trades now. I mean, the, the, uh, all this stuff has, has helped individuals invest in this, in this aggressive way that trade professionals used to invest. And they kicked their ass. But the response is to disallow it, to stop the trading, to you know, monitor it and stop trading. And all these pearl-clutching journalists are like, this is, you know, this is unacceptable, and what's going to happen? Well, okay, you're going to tell us that we're not allowed to even trade in our own capital markets, which are you know, basically available to the, the rich in society. Well, where are they going to go? What market is going to be open 24-7, not stopped, the trading won't be stopped or halted? Where's the market that they're going to say, okay, this is the market we're allowed to trade in, and it's not going to uh, discriminate against us? Yeah, that's the hope. Um, certainly, yeah, could be could be Bitcoin. I'm glad to hear that you said about that podcast because I've seen that reference. I've listened to the Grant Williams one, um, but um, and I've seen people responding to the professor. But um, that that uh, the tether column that you probably referenced last week, I had not come across it, but I finally did, and it was you know definitely some fud and a little bit more convincing. But I've seen some rebuttals to that, and uh, yeah, okay, it's an interesting time, and with, with the stock market now being like revealed as a fraud, I don't know they're going to make some you know obviously some regulations quicker than they're going to set records uh, by changing some whatever the way the game is played. But but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm happy to hear that you're bullish as ever. Yeah, I feel like I'm more bullish because this really exposed it. I mean, you have Blockbuster skyrocketing, GameStop skyrocketing, AMC. I mean, AMC, you know, all those theaters must yeah, be packed right now. Yeah, it's, what a great business to be in this day and age. People have you know 80-inch screen TVs that are getting cheaper every year, and everything can be streamed to you immediately. Some movies are even released oh. on, to, to online, and, and now you're trying to fill a theater during a pandemic. And I was trying to say, or sit, or sit in a closed room together and during the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, but like people's habits change, right? If you don't go to the movies for a couple of years and you get a bigger screen because you're home a lot, that, that may be it. Yeah. So I do value the movie. I think the movie theater experience is good. But, but yeah, these stocks are not being bought because they have a future. They're being bought because it's a game. And the whole thing is not, it's not real. It's not connected to anything. It's just, this is, this is sort of the logical conclusion when the economy and the stock market are disconnected. This is like proving just how ludicrous the whole thing is, how manipulated it really is. Yeah, I wonder what the government's response is going to be. I know they already have their their what are they going to do? Situation. What, what are they going to do? You know, they can't. It's, they're going to be too late. They're going to stop trading after. What are they going to do? Stop free speech. Memes are illegal, but yeah. this meme stuff is legit. It's like these memes are their information. Everything's information warfare now. It's like everybody. We are in the fourth turning. 
the war, and I hope it's not a kinetic war, like where people get killed, but I feel like there's like a legit information war, and memes are a type of weaponry that convince and persuade, and we're like fighting over the the control of the digital domain, which is everything, right? Everything's digitized now, right? That everything's gone digital. The, your meetings are on Zoom. Your social life is on Twitter and Facebook. Your you know everything is everything is you know your commerce is online. So much stuff is digital now, and so information is the is the the guns and the knives of, of digital. And I kind of feel like we're already at, in this war now. Yeah, yeah, this is going to accelerate it, but it's definitely definitely uh it's definitely crazy what's going on though i mean the gamestop thing is just it's it's wild and i can't wait to see what happens next with it um Liz, i enjoyed your uh your column on your Substack this week oh the conspiracy, the conspiracy one conspiracy yeah yeah that was a good one Thanks. everyone should check it out if you haven't that was a, that was a, that was a good yeah. one you get, how's the uh, general feedback on on that with your the twitter banter uh people like it but a few people don't like it at all and they're sort of either snarky or uh, one guy is pretty funny. He said, you're way too smart to think that somebody like that could be present and also that this kind of thing could happen. And I responded, I said, well, you're way too smart to take a, a parable literally. And he said, well, you, you know, you've been sounding like Tommy G on your Twitter lately. I didn't realize it was satire. And I said, oh, no, no, it was not satire. I said, it's a parable. I think he got confused with the word parody. Uh, it's not a parody. It's, not, it's a parable, uh, which is obviously not the same thing. Right. No, okay, yeah, no, I, saw, I saw a little bit of back and forth. Okay, all right. So, um, but, yeah, I, I personally enjoyed them. But, yeah, I, I could see, I, I asked for a reason, though. I mean, I could see some, some pushback. Yeah, well, so, you know, it's a parable in the sense that it's about utilitarianism and globalist do-gooders and, and honestly, like if you follow this woman, Alina Chan, that I've been putting her yeah. handle out on this podcast, like she's like very, she's an MIT like postdoc or something. She gets hate and stuff because she's even raising the question, but she's really very like, you know, we don't know if this was in the lab. She's very um, sober about it and not at all conspiracy minded. She just wants to, she's just looking at evidence. And she won't even say that it happened in the lab. But if you look at all the evidence that she puts out there and the fact that they're just covering up so much and destroying so much data and just insisting and getting angry that it's, that it's of natural causes but won't support it and won't answer basic questions about it, you really get the feeling it's from a lab. Now, there's no evidence, as we said before, that it was intentionally from a lab like in my conspiracy story, but that's why it's a conspiracy. That's why it's called conspiracy. <laughs> uh, but... But you could see how people who would think the way they think in the story would conclude that that was something to do. I'm not saying that's what they did. I'm just saying you can see how that type of thinking would lead to that type of behavior and policymaking. You certainly can. Yeah, and I do follow, follow her on Twitter since you said that. It's a great, it is a very interesting source and that any information out there, she's um, contributing to it as far as just, yeah, she just wants the truth. She's not really has an agenda or doesn't seem to have an agenda at all. Um, but who knows? I mean, that just seems like that's going to be tougher and tougher though, to ever figure out what happened. But people are getting mad. It's like, it's, it's a fictional, it's obviously fictional. I'm not claiming, you know, they think I was actually there in the room. Of course not. It's obviously fiction, (laughs) but there's the fact that it describes a conspiracy where they intentionally launched this virus. And it's, you know, it's not like there's some evidence, you know, I don't add evidence there or link to anything. It's just this guy's narrative of having been there. 
And they're like pissed off about that. They get mad. They're actually like angry about that. A few people, most people, I think, just mm-hmm. thought it was a, uh, a cool dystopian possibility. That, but again, it's more of a parable. More, just, it's just there to illustrate the type of thinking that's common, you know, in policy making. Well, which, which would cause more death, this or that? Okay, well, we have to. You know, this whole policy making, the, the way people think about policy making and how our uh, governing class should be thinking, and it's sort of a just a version of that that hopefully shows how dangerous that mindset really is. Yeah, no, it definitely. It made me think. So I, I like, I liked it. Well done. Thank um, you. What else you got going on? Uh, lists, sports, politics. In, yeah, not much. I mean, just that, that GameStop thing is such a big story. I probably haven't really expressed how big of a deal that was. And, and all these guys like acting like, you know, this is horrible. It's like, these are, they're fighting you with, call options they're not fighting with you're lucky they're not fighting with pitchforks you know in prior eras when the rentier class who takes <laughs> and and you know extracts from society without contributing and, and and does so unfairly i'm not talking about steve jobs making an iphone that everybody benefits from i'm talking about just the you know, the people with the money who extract more money from society through their control of the legal system and 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 policy and even you know the information ecosystem. You know, in the old days when there was a revolution, it was it came with pitchforks. Now it's okay. We, we're going to get wise to your game and fight back with your own tools digitally and take your money like you've been taking our money. And they're they're still whining and crying foul. Well, now everyone needs to cash in these meme stocks and move it all, all over to Bitcoin. Well, I, I really think that's what's going to happen because because while this took down a bunch of the hedge funders who were shorting. Already weakened company. I mean, and shorting. There's reason to clean it out. I'm not. I'm not actually against shorting per se. But anyway, they're trying to short this company and make money off of it. And obviously, if the company dies sooner rather than later. Okay, maybe it was a you know a company that was already on the outs, but people lose their jobs a little bit earlier. You know, so they don't really care about that. They're just attacking the company, and then it gets turned on them. So they took down this one hedge fund, and that's like, oh, great. You know, we, everyone's behind that pretty much. But once they realize what buying Bitcoin does, it's so much bigger, right? It takes down the whole corrupt system itself. It's not just one small fund or a couple of funds that were making a play. So I, I just think like the same sort of anger and the same sort of frustration with the existing system can be applied with so much more leverage to the system and really upended and, and change the, change the game completely. Yeah, for sure. I hope you're right. Yeah. Um, thoughts on, uh, football games. Um, I, I jumped into draft champions myself, could, uh, couldn't help myself. So I'm in baseball mode a little here too. So, uh, so yeah, what are sports? Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm in like round 32. And when a guy uses the full two hours, now it's down to an hour after round 30. I'm like annoyed at the guy. I'm like, come on, you're, you're cheating us, you know, of, of our picks. Like we're not getting to, we're not getting to enjoy this. And when I took two hours cause I was out or something, people are bitching at me. Everyone wants this to just go, um, because it's fun. And I'm in round 32 and there's some guys I got my eye on that I'm hoping that I get, you know, it's like, I'm still, I got Emilio Pagan in round 31, Tyler O'Neill in round 32. I'm like, I was happy to get those guys. Mine's fired up. It was like half full when I went to sleep last night, about midnight. And I woke up at 
8 a.m. and I was on the clock at pick 14. So they <laughs> filled it up. They filled it up. They did the kid. I mean, I'm a West Coaster, but right. pretty, pretty on it. So I'm at whatever. I'm in round five now already. We started this morning and it's 15 team league. So um, I'm definitely uh, uh, going with my starting pitching heavy uh, strategy. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to switch to, to baseball mode um, now. And it's, uh, I've heard you talk on XM and I agree with a few things like DJ LeMay, he was second round pick, you know, things like that. And Corey Seeger is another one of those guys who, whom I like, but right. now suddenly he's a, he's a mid third rounder, a guy who doesn't run with a huge injury history. I mean, it's, it's, it's some interesting stuff that, uh, that has, that has changed. Uh, but, um, I'm certainly, uh, going to change some ADPs with my aggressive starting pitcher style. That's what you, who, where were you drafting? Who'd you take? All right. So at 14th, I took, uh, I don't you know, really love this guy, but I'm kind of in on Trevor Bauer. I think he's right. changed some things in the spin rate. If he goes to the Mets, I uh, could throw a ton of innings, but um, don't love coming off such a great season. But I, I took Bauer at 14 um, and then the 15th went Darvish and Nola. And then I came back and went Walker Bueller. Oh, I got and, Bueller uh, too in the second round. Yeah. And then I was pretty upset that glass now didn't last me in round three, but Matt Modica took him like way ahead of, or well ahead of ADP, um, not well ahead, but whatever I was going to take him there. So I was upset there and they, I don't care, dude, rounds three and four. I went Blake Snell and then Corbin Burns. Nice. Nice. All in with the pitching. All in with the pitching. So, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll keep in my brand. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. No, um, I'm, I'm liking this. It's just, you know, just don't forget about the closers and the catchers and the shortstop. Like I was like, my only shortstop is Edie Gregorius and he's a free agent. So then I had to get Orlando Arcia cause I was like the top guy left in round 28. So I'm like, you have to make sure you're covered because there's no move. You can't pick up players in this league. So you better have a full roster. Yeah, and there's like, I think there were like 10 shortstops went and only nine outfielders so far. Someone was commenting in the room. So you're right about shortstop. I mean, that seems, it's, that's, that's wild for sure. So, um, and closers, I do want to get early, but it's like there's no hater this year, you know? I mean, I know Hendricks is going, but then there's, I don't know, there's some question marks with Chapman. And I don't know, the closer situation, as always, remains a tough one to, to figure out. But I'm with you. I want, I want one early, and especially a league like this with no pickup. I don't want one early. I, I actually screwed up because I, I tried to, you know, you, you look at the ADP and you're like, okay, I got 80 more picks before Kimbrell goes. And then he goes. And I'm like, damn it. I would have taken him. And the same thing happened yeah. with Greg Holland. So I, I've got some guys. I'm, I got Pomerantz and, uh, and Emilio Pagan. So I think at least as, as long as they don't sign anybody, I should get those saves. And then I've got a couple other guys. But yeah, it's just fun, man. I just, you know, baseball is such a grind to actually play. But the drafting is the best. I love drafting baseball teams. Yeah, with so many different positions and strategies, it's just definitely different than, than football. Um, I guess I'm rooting for the DH not to be in the NL with the four straight NL pitchers. But I actually, with my strategy, I, I think I do want that. I like that it opens opens up at bats. But what a weird time, man. We don't know if there's going to be a DH, if the season going to start on time. I mean, I, I can tell in the chatter that a lot of people are, oh, the innings pitched if the pitcher, you know, if the season starts later. Um, so I don't know. It's a little frustrating that we don't have that information. Well, you know, I'm, I'm using that because I took uh, Severino and Sale because those guys are due back in like July, maybe. But right. if the season starts in May or even mid-May, yeah. then, oh, great. I got to wait a month and a half and I get two aces. You know, we'll see, yeah. we'll see what kind of condition they're in mid-summer, but it's kind of cool. It's like you just, yeah. just, it's just like a, right. it's also good because if, if baseball starts on time, Rotowire is going to sell a lot more subscriptions and I'm going to make more money. And if it doesn't start on time, well, I'm going to yeah, make, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll hedge a little bit with this, uh, with these pitchers. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I want to do at least one of these. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Baseball, uh, into baseball, moving on from football, another frustrating, uh, weekend. I lost, uh, 
lost some money thanks to uh i don't want to go too crazy about it because i've heard your your opinion but uh i, I went nuts at the time not second guessing the, the floor decision um I, I know some models have pointed otherwise and whatnot but um I don't know. Was, uh, I guess that was a pretty good game, though. And then Mahomes, I expected that game to be a little closer. But did you have any takeaways from the NFL? Are you tired of talking about it on XM all week? No, you know, I just my takeaway is I kind of want the Chiefs to win. I just like the Chiefs when they're rolling. I just like that team. I love Mahomes. And I don't think they're going to – I feel like the, I'm going to have to take the box. I don't want to. But I'm going to have to take them because Eric Fisher got hurt. And the Bucks' defensive line is nasty. And they're going to get in his face, and it doesn't matter who you are, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, if, that, if they're getting to you quickly, you're in trouble. And the Bucks. one thing about both Bucks games against the Saints and against the uh, Packers, Brady had a lot of time to throw. And Brady's still good. He's not as good as Mahomes. I don't even think he's good as Rodgers. But if he has time to throw, he will complete to some of those receivers. And you know he's going to be calm in the situation. He's not going to be rattled by the moment. So I kind of want to take the points. I don't want to, but I feel like it's it's not what I want to ha- you know want to happen. It's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, you like um, you like defense uh, on Super Bowl. Always, you always go to the, the team with the better defense. Or they, I mean, not always, but usually. Story, yeah, I guess it doesn't. Yeah, matter. usually if it's really good. But the Bucks defense is obviously not historically good, but. The last few games, they're playing pretty well. And, you know, I I mean, it was like the Giants beat the Patriots that year. The Patriots were so much better, but the Giants' defense was just getting to the quarterback by the Super Bowl, and they beat the crap out of Brady. And I think they might do. And I also like the fact that Mahomes is gimpy. Like, normally, Mahomes can kind of get out of that by scrambling around, but he's a little slowed down. So the combination of Fisher being gone, Mahomes being slowed down, and the Bucs having their full, healthy defensive line back. I think I'm going to take the points. Yeah, and I know that home field hasn't mattered this year, really, but it's weird this year in the sense of the Super Bowl team cannot travel two weeks before like they're used to to deal with the media. They travel the week of, and so that might be a little different with the Chiefs as obviously Tampa Bay will be at home the whole two weeks. Right. For, um, so so that's you know a little uh, problem, too. And the, yeah, the offensive line is banged up, but um, crazy. I heard a stat. Mahomes has never lost a game by more than one position, possession in the NFL, um, and now two more weeks to get healthy. I, I'll probably lean Chiefs, but I, I definitely hear your side, and certainly Tampa Bay is playing uh, quite well. That was no easy task going into Green Bay and doing that. I mean, they got a couple breaks here and there, but um, you know, they, yeah, their defense is playing well, and they just run the ball on first and ten like every time though with two yard gain with with Fournette, and um, that that might catch up to them getting those third and sevens against this Chiefs defense. Who's I mean, Josh Allen's been awesome this year. The Chiefs defense is the one area I kind of why I'm going to lean there, but. Certainly betting against Brady hasn't, uh, hasn't made me look too smart this year. Yeah, it's funny, though. Josh Allen, I, I said this before, and he played better all year, but I was like, he's like Pete Cam Newton. Pete Cam Newton won an MVP on a 15-1 and team and went to the Super Bowl. I mean, Pete Cam Newton was pretty damn good. And you're very happy if your franchise has Pete Cam Newton as, your quarter, as his quarterback. That's what I think Josh Allen is. You know, he's, just, he's got a bigger arm than Newton, although when Newton was completely healthy in his prime, he pretty big dude he could throw the ball maybe not as far as allen but that's what he reminds me of maybe his passing was a little more accurate this year but when newton was on top of his game he threw like 35 touchdowns and what, seven or eight interceptions that year 10 interceptions he had a good a great year in 2015 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not going to say it's a bad comparison. I mean, it's certainly a, Newton was awesome, but Allen's still young, and I think he just had the greatest completion percentage improvement from one season to the next, like ever. So he, um, I don't know, he does throw the ball down the field uh, more than, than Newton. Well, Newton but, also um, had like pretty bad receivers too, right? He never had a Stephon yeah, Diggs. He had like yeah. late career. Steve Smith was pretty good for a couple of years for him, but that was about it. Yeah, they were Kelvin Benjamin was his that yeah, it was not good. Um so that's crazy that Brady has as many NFC titles as Rogers and Breeze. They yeah. all have one now. And so uh you want to talk about the the, the call? You, just, you didn't think it was the worst uh, call going for it down. You know, I mean, the fact that after the field goal, they still had to score a touchdown. And I know you did some math too in your column, but you know, one thing I'd point out is not all third down. You say the team goes to three and out 33% of the time. I mean, that, that in itself is just, it's a different situation when the team is trying to get one first down. So I just think all the math is tough to, to, uh, but I, I heard, um, uh, on, on XM to an argument that there's some, you know, smart people with models that suggested it, it helped them if anything, but man, to me, that was just crazy. Yeah. I didn't like it at the time. I think it was partly just because the sequence was so bad. Rogers had a lot of green in front of him, could have run either for the touchdown or very close to it and ends up throwing an incomplete pass. And, and then it's, you know, from the eight and you're like, what? Now they're kicking a field goal. It was like they were first in goal from the eight when Adams caught that pass. Uh, would have killed Devontae Adams to make a big play for once and break a tackle <laughs> in the end zone. But first, first and goal from the eight, and now it's fourth and goal from the eight, and you're like, wait, what? You know, they need a touchdown here. So it's pretty jarring. I think that was part of it. But then when you do the math and you look at all the percentages, you know, it's like 92%, 95% to make the field goal. And then it's about one in three to get a stop. And then, yeah, you know, these are generic teams about one in three. So you're at like 32%. And then after getting the stop, you got to score with no timeouts. That's probably like, you know, 25% against a good defense. But there was a great offense, but whatever. Let's say now you're down to 8%. Now you got to get the, uh, well, you don't need the two point conversion because you've kicked the field goal. So you just score and that's it. You win. Now you, and then you got to use up the whole clock, but you probably do because it's 140 and no timeout. So, you know, you got like an 8% chance to win. But if you go for it, what do you have? Like a 40% chance to, to get eight yards. So, there's a 40% chance to, to score. And then even if you do score, you need the two-point conversion. So that's 20%. And even if you get the two-point conversion, you still got to stop Brady from even getting a field goal, right? Like you just, even a field goal beats you. That's probably like chances of Brady with three timeouts and two minutes just getting a field goal is probably like 60%. So now you're down to about 8% again, 40% to 20% of stopping him. And then, but then even if you do all that, and you stop them, now you're just in overtime. So now it's 4%. Now you have to still win the game. Even if you, even if, so if you, yeah, but, yeah. and then there's the chance that even if you don't make the fourth down, you still get the three and out, you get the ball back, you score, you get the two point conversion. And then of course you win in overtime. And the first down, if you're inside, say the play picks up three yards, say it picks up no yard, whatever inside your, your 10, it seems seemingly tougher too. But, but, um, I, I, the fact that the Packers had to score a touchdown after the field goal still is what bothered me. And they have the best red zone offense in the NFL and, um, the game scored whatever, 57 points. Yeah. And then a, the first yeah. down the other, I mean, they really, really, I mean, it was terrible at the time I thought. And let's not forget how much they lucked out on the ensuing kickoff where the guy doesn't waste two seconds. He right. Immediately. Yeah. So the best case scenario, and it still was awful. And they never even came close to getting the ball back. So, um, admittedly, well, I they came close to get, they came close to getting the ball back. I mean, the reason they didn't get the ball back was because 
little tug of a jersey that was called about 10 seconds late. I mean, they came very close to getting the ball back. A lot of people think they probably should have got the ball back, and I thought so, too. I mean, it was pass interference, but, like, a third of the passes that are defensed are pass interference. They got The guy's got a hand around the waist sometimes. They're like, oh, that's great technique, or they're kind of, like, pushing and shoving as the ball's in the air a little. They're like, oh, that's just, you know, in hand fighting, that's nothing. You know, there's all sorts of excuses made for little ticky tack stuff that happens and that you know he tugged the jersey i can't say it was a terrible call but they didn't call it when alan lazar was being held and it caused the pick that the packers then blew the next play for a touchdown so i kind of felt like let's just have it was close enough and given the way that was called let aaron Rodgers have the career defining drive against brady to get to the super bowl i'm just i mean to to cancel that on on that little tug to me i understand it it was it's it's not like it's outrageous that they did that but I would have rather than just let it go. I misspoke. I should have said never came close to scoring again because they didn't even get the ball back. Yeah. But yes, obviously that could have been not called. And especially in a game in which they were letting everything go to the point the announcers were talking about it over yeah. and over and then have it come with that is, yeah, it's a, it's a little a little annoying. Crazy sequence, though, at the end of the half and then the beginning of the half um, with the, the Aaron Jones leaving. But um, still, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a whatever, man, I thought it was a nutless monkey decision and just horrific. But this is coming from someone who had the, the, the donkey teaser bet. So maybe it's just me with my three and a half. But that's the that's that's the nail in the coffin to, to betting on football for me. Just what a joke. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, well, anyway, yeah, no, I, I hear you. But but in a way, it was it was kind of the real man decision because no fan was ever going to accept that and they were going but to if think you're the bucks though i mean if you're the bucks you're just going crazy you're so happy at the time i mean i don't need any model any model that says that it was otherwise to me is just an indictment on the model dude the bucks were going crazy when they called the field goal unit out i mean they were so well, i think it's i had a, a bunch of money on the line and i was screaming to the point of my brother-in-law was you know the kids are needed to leave the room i mean uh, I, I wasn't second guessing it i wasn't to be clear i wasn't second guessing. It. i was screaming at the time the field goal no. went out i was like right. i could i was whatever the word is yeah but the point is because i am that so often but the point is i also had the same reaction you did but when i looked into it it actually made sense and the reason you're relieved when you're a buck you know when you're if you're a bucks fan is that when you put all the chips in and go all in it's scary for both teams if you go for it on fourth and eight, you're putting all the chips in and scary for both. If you kick a field goal, it means, ah, cool, we can take a breath. Now, you might, you might lose the game if, if that pass isn't called, uh, pass interference, and Rogers scores for a touchdown, you lose the game. So you, anytime you have a showdown then and there, it's scary, right? It's scary for the person making the call to have the showdown on fourth and eight, and it's scary for the team playing defense on fourth and eight. So when he kicks the field goal, it's a relief to the defense or the person rooting for the defense because you're like, ah, I don't have to face death right now. I don't have to face you know the possibility of it right now. It's I got a reprieve for the time being, and I may never have to face that. But that's a separate question from what's more likely to win the game. So I feel like the emotion is different than the than the actual optimal decision. In a way, it was a courageous move because he he had to know that everybody would be like, "You're such a coward. You're a terrible coach," and yet he did it anyway in a high profile moment. So to me, that's actually courageous when you really think about it. Uh, and uh, one argument I would say is that Rodgers should have known if it's three downs or four downs, you know, lack of communication right. there was yeah. a problem. But one counter argument, I will say this: I will say this. Um, you could argue that it did increase their chances of winning in the sense of the Bucks were, were going to run that those two. When they get the ball, they were going to definitely run the ball two straight times. 
and then they're going to have to pick up that third and eight. Whereas if they tied the game, you know, the Bucks were definitely going to be aggressive on offense and kick a field goal. And so while it definitely hurt their chances of going to overtime, I, I get it that it probably helped uh, in the sense of, well, the Bucks are going to be nut- nutless when they get the ball back right. because they have a yes. point lead. Or yes. So that helps you there. Yes. I, I get that. Like, and that's tough to factor in any model, like the play calling of yes. the other team. No, but. that's right. I mean, it would be ballsy if they just like threw a deep pass on the first play, right? But they're probably not going to do that. They're going to run the clock, right. make you use the timeout so you only have to get one first down. I think Brady can get the third and eight or third and six, or do you think Rodgers can get it? It's kind of what, to me, I guess. But And, and, and I don't know. So right. I would have gone. That's right. That's right. It's... It's do you think Rogers going to get it or Brady's going to get it? And Brady got, you know, Brady got it. Now, one of the things that was, but it cuts both ways. I mean, one of the things was that Brady always had time to throw and Rogers didn't, he was, you know, under duress a lot. So I don't know. I, I that to me was close enough that, you know, I, I don't, that doesn't really bug. It, it was annoying at the time, but it doesn't bug me anymore. That I will say in my two uh, fantasy playoff leagues, XM and my home league, I am happy that I took Brady at the fourth pick ahead of a breeze with the debate or whatever in both of them. So uh, hopefully, hopefully you send me some money on that. Well, you're, you're battling uh, for last. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely last. I, I need like the Chiefs defense to score like three touchdowns. I'll to believe it. You got to pay double. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it was my rule. I was only suggested that rule. And I was pleased with myself when I drafted that team, too. But it's 40 bucks. I can. This, this funny money, this fiat fake currency is no big deal to print some of the stuff. By the way, have you gotten paid yet in uh, League of Leagues? Uh, no, we're still. I, I would believe me. I will let you know. But okay, I know you're know. concerned, but it's yes. still gone dark as far as I'm concerned. Right, same I'm, email. I'll, 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 I'm gonna have to do a follow up email in that case next week. I, I think is, you are. This is yeah. getting a bit yeah. absurd. This is getting a bit absurd. A little bit. And then, uh, and finally, I can't. We can't just leave on a sports note because you know people will be very disappointed. Did you see that Leon Black was like uh, Epstein's benefactor? Oh yeah, and yeah. Billionaire guy and you know hedge fund guy, whatever. And he down. he paid. Well, he had to step down. They said he's done nothing wrong, but he's going to step down anyway because he paid 158 million dollars to Epstein for accounting advice, tax advice. He said that Epstein was very creative in ways to avoid taxes on he his saved yacht. Him like five, he claimed Billion, he saved him a right, ton more. Okay, <laughs> okay, come on, come on. I want. I mean, that's are you quite a write off? I, I have the wrong accountant because that's quite a write off. No, I'm in the wrong line of business. I got to go into tax yeah. accounting, obviously, to get 158 yeah. mil for some suggestions. Oh, he's very clever. Yeah. I'm sure he's such a clever person. He must have some very yeah. clever ideas that nobody who you paid a million dollars for could think of. Because a million dollars for your accountant is a lot of money. Even five million for your accountant would be a hell of a lot of money. I bet you get a good accountant for five million dollars to retain him for you in the next few years. I'm sure you can pretty much have your pick of tax attorneys and accountants, and maybe get a whole team of them for five million dollars. How is it possible that he paid $158 million for accounting advice? Like, they are not even pretending anymore. That was the whole premise of the conspiracy theory essay. It was like, you know, I shouldn't have even been in the room listening to this, but ever since the Epstein murder went uninvestigated, they, they didn't even have to worry about it. And this is another one. They're just telling the public, yeah, that $158 million was for accounting advice. Of course it was. Well, where's the contract? There was no contract. There was no written contract. It just showed a transfer of this money to him, and then it was explained verbally later that it was for accounting advice. I mean, this is not a, this is not a credible story. This is not like, this guy's involved with Epstein. It's not a credible story that it was for accounting advice. It's just not a credible story. But, you know, oh, conspiracy. Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, it's... It, the, I got into this debate on Twitter with this guy who's commenting, another guy, 
And he was trying to say, oh, conspiracies. And he's trying to say, oh, well, you know, you can never talk someone out of conspiracy because they can always find new evidence and they can't be reasoned with and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, yeah, that's true. But that's not the important point. The important point is conspiracy theories abound when the official explanation is obviously bullshit. When the official explanation is bullshit, people start to be like, well, what really happened? So they start connecting the dots. And a lot of times they make up some crazy shit that's not true. But it's, they wouldn't do that if there's a credible, you know, legitimate explanation for things. It's just that there isn't, and, and they don't even care to make it credible. They're not even trying to sell it to you anymore. So it's gotten so big, though, that it's like he had to, he had to finally step down. It's become so obvious the New York Times has a column on it. So I, I don't really know what to make of it, though. It's so... Uh, in plain sight, you know, nobody's <laughs> investigating there. Even like in the New York Times column, it's almost like they do like an emoji after the like, LOL, like, like, really, they paid him this much for tax help. Like, it's, it's got to be tongue in cheek. Like, there's got to be a wink to the audience. Right. Or no. I mean, what well, is happening? Here? They're like, they're like, this is a funny thing because it doesn't affect the, you know, the sacred class of, of us, you know, of journalism, the journalism people, the oligarchs, the people who employ them. It doesn't affect them in a way. So they're. They're just like, ah, uh-huh, this is obviously, you know, ridiculous. But they say it like that in lieu of like, well, let's just say there was a terrorist attack or there was a attack on the Capitol and the person who mounted the attack you had been close with and you had given him $158 million and there was no credible, plausible explanation for why you gave him that money. You don't think they would be at your door putting an electric shock to your nuts, making you say what, what that money was about? Of course they would be doing that. So there's a trafficking of minors. These, all these underage women, you know, they're 15. Well, they're grown women now, but when they're 15, they were in the sex ring with him, and there were powerful people around the world, and this guy gave the money. You have a horrible criminal who's doing horrible things, and he gave this money, and no one's saying, look, this is an investigation into the Epstein horrors with these girls, this sex ring, this under the RICO Act, whatever they want to use, and kick everyone's ass and say, we need to know. Don't you think if like, you gave money for some obviously horrible criminal act that they would just let you off the hook? And they would be like laughing at, oh, yeah, I gave the guy money with the horns because you know, I'm a patron of the arts and he's an actor. You know I mean? If you had a ridiculous explanation, they wouldn't do that. They'd be like, no, yeah. he's the mastermind behind it. He's the funds behind it, behind this whole operation. What was this operation? Was it try to overthrow the government or what? They would find, they would get to the bottom of that because it affects them. But they don't care yes, about these girls. No, it doesn't make any sense. No, it's, 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 it's insane. It doesn't make any sense. And it's frustrating. And uh, clearly, so it's just clearly the blackmail angle is what he would that is a conspiracy theory right but that is a more plausible theory than the one they're offering the fact that he was a financier who got paid 158 <laughs> million for his tax advice even though, nobody, tax advice. Even though nobody nobody on wall street has ever done a trade with him nobody has heard of his firm or any that is not a plausible story but but the the story of Oh, and that the guards just happened to not show up that day that he hanged himself and that the cameras happened to malfunction after the guards and his cellmate was transferred out. I mean, these are not plausible explanations. So when people say it's Mossad, the CIA, this kind of thing is, it is a conspiracy theory because it's a theory that people conspired to do something. It's literally a conspiracy theory. But why does it exist? Oh, there's no way to talk Dalton Del Don out of a conspiracy theory. He doesn't think Epstein, he thinks Epstein was murdered. That's a conspiracy The account is so bad that, of course, it's going to give rise to people trying to make a plausible explanation. Now, some people take it too far, and they 
think Oprah's in charge of a sex trafficking ring. That, to me, takes it too far. That doesn't seem plausible to me. But there's a lot of things that, that are you know, more plausible than the explanation offered. And that's, you know, to me, that's like the obvious thing. And why can't we get to the bottom of where the, the origin of the coronavirus is? Why, why isn't that just a scientific matter? Because so, why are people destroying evidence? Why would they cover this up if it's just from a, if it's just from a bat somewhere in the, in the jungle somewhere? Yeah, it's all very frustrating and I, it, increasingly unlikely to ever uh, see any, any meaningful information on both accounts. Um, and by the way, can I say, uh, really tarnishing the name Leon Black, one of the greatest characters on TV right now, Leon Black from Curb. How dare That's, you? That is terrible. Same exact name. That is unfortunate. Yeah. It is unfortunate. But yeah. the, the great Leon Black is tarnished by some scumbag yeah. who, who yeah. overpays for accounting advice, who really overpaid for, embarrassingly overpaid yeah. for accounting advice. Anything else? Hopefully, the, hopefully, the, hopefully, mics are fixed. No, nothing else other than uh, my only wreck this week is our, our person Tulsi was on Rogan. I'm about halfway through, so just uh, in case you didn't know that. Is yeah, it good? it's good so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the yeah. way, I, mean, I like her. Yeah. Should I take Daniel Murphy? Oh, they, ah, I just took Pat Vileka. Like that's how desperate it is now. Like I need a first base eligible guy because all I got is Vlad, and then I got this guy in Colorado, Josh Fuentes. That's my only first base eligible player. So. What do you think about Daniel Murphy? He's a free agent. Yeah, you're you're, you're a little bit deeper than me, uh, clearly. But <laughs> you'll yeah, see. Go, yeah, yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll get Daniel here Murphy. if he makes it back to me. Anyway, right. All right, man. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good stuff, Liz. All right. Take it easy, Later. Later, man. Take care.